give us a shout out that tells how we're doing or to or to suggest I can't say it. <laughs> Get me through, please. From Rosemary's Baby and Reggie McNeil, to Jason, Freddy, and Chucky, to Samara, Jigsaw, and Pennywise, we can't get enough. If it's blood-curdling, spine-tingling, breath-quickening, or soul-stealing, we are ready to watch it. Welcome to Hilltop Horror Movie Reviews, I'm your host, Ray Richards. With me tonight are my two co-hosts, Anne Conley. Hello. And Helen Stewart. Hey. Alright, for new listeners, this is going to be our format for this episode. First, I'm going to introduce the movie we'll be reviewing and rating tonight. Next, Helen is going to tell us about our recommended drink pairing. Then we're going to run through our expectations going into the watch. Next, we're going to play the trailer and review the movie in roughly chronological order. And finally, we're going to wrap up with our ratings. Tonight, we're going to review the 2012 supernatural horror film The Woman in Black, directed by James Watkins and written by Jane Goldman. It's the second adaptation of Susan Hill's 1983 novel of the same name, which was previously filmed in 1989. The film stars Daniel Radcliffe in the lead role alongside Kieran Hines, Janet McTeer, Sophie Stuckey, and Liz White. The plot is set in early 20th century England and follows a young, recently widowed lawyer who travels to a remote village where he discovers the vengeful ghost of a scorned woman is terrorizing the locals. The film received generally positive reviews with critics praising Radcliffe's performance, cinematography, direction, atmosphere, and homages to Hammer's gothic horror films, calling it a, quote, solid ghost story. It was also commercially successful, grossing $127 million worldwide. So for today's drink pairing, we have the Black Widow cocktail. Nice. The Black Widow cocktail is a devilishly refreshing combo of blackberry juice and vodka that will lift your spirits or conjure some women in black who will want to have a taste. Sweetened with a little simple syrup, enjoy this cocktail with a blackberry garnish. Nice. Mm. My glass does have a blackberry garnish, so thank you very much, Helen. You're welcome. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Oh, black, blackberry. Oh, I just think it's a little sweet. Too much oh. simple syrup. <laughs> mm. All right. Well, all right. Let's move into our expectations. So, Helen, why don't you give us your expectations? Sure. Since you picked the movie. I did pick the movie, and I was really excited to do this one because despite what Ray and I have debated before over period pieces, because I was not a big fan of Bram Stoker's Dracula, I do love English manor type horror films. So I had seen this before, and I don't remember it being that terrified, but I thought it was a really well done movie, so I was excited to see it again. Did you see it in the theater, or did no, you see No, I think okay. I saw it on like a whatever... Bock, I don't know. That wasn't Blockbuster, was it? Nah, 2012. Yeah. I was going to say, it must have been Netflix or something. Redflex, maybe. I mean, Redbox. <laughs> <laughs> we Netflix, just combined Redflex, those Redbox. Yeah. It's all the same. So, my expectation. So, it was funny. So, because when Helen chose this movie, I was like, oh, man. Like, I knew this number was going to come up sooner <laughs> or later. And this movie was really in, I would say, my top five scariest movies of all time. I remember watching this movie and being literally terrified, like shaking watching this movie because it was just so scary and the anticipation and the suspense in the room, you know, the things that they weren't showing, the things that you knew were going to happen. I mean, it was just like uh, when Helen said we're going to do this one, I was like, oh my gosh, it was almost that like masochistic 
I I don't want to watch it, but I kind of really do want to watch it again. Um, so I was terrified and excited <laughs> to see this movie again. Um, and you know, just spoiler alert, uh, it was great again, but definitely nowhere near as scary as the first time. Yeah, I'm going to echo Anne's sentiments here. At, when I saw it in the theaters, it was pretty terrifying. I mean, the idea that you know Dan, Daniel Radcliffe's character is alone in this manner, and it's just you hear these noises, and he's going up to these rooms and his creepy toys and everything. I mean, it was it was definitely scary. So I was I didn't know what to think going into the rewatch because I really just didn't know if it was still going to be scary or if it was going to be less scary now that I knew kind of what happened to him. Uh, in any given scene, right, you know, he kind of makes it all the way through to the end. So I didn't know. And I, I will say, as Anne said, uh, it, it was less scary this time, I think. So I, I, it's funny that you say that because I kind of thought it was more scary. And I don't know if it's because of the hype of the Harry Potter. And then was this his, like, first real film that made it to the U.S.? You know, where we see him not in a youthful setting. Yeah, this was one of his first big splashes in the U.S. And and big would be an over-exaggeration because a lot of people haven't heard of or even seen this movie. Right. I just, I felt like I couldn't get Harry Potter, not that I had seen it at the time, out of my head. That Mm -hmm. I didn't think I could take him as seriously as I took him this time. Which is a shame because he is an amazing actor. Mm-hmm. It's just in my head. I just saw him as a little boy still. And he is tiny. So that kind of went with that <laughs> whole thing. No, I, I, I agree with you. Um, I think when I saw it in the theaters, I did have a hard time differentiating him from Harry Potter. And he has a four-year-old boy in this movie. And I remember mm-hmm. thinking like, man, he's like so young, like four-year-old boy, blah, blah. But like when I watched it this time, I definitely thought he seemed older and mature, more mature. Exactly. I agree with you. Yeah, I, it was hard, yes, because you grow up with Harry Potter and him really being like, you know, a, an 11-year-old, right, through like a 16-year-old. And while he's going through those ages, he's personally maturing more and more. So I forget, how old was he like by the time they did the final film? Like 19 or 20 or, you know. I, I don't know, yeah. He, he was years older than the actual child would be going through, right, you know, Harry Potter story. And then this was only a few few years after that, I want to say. Yep. So it was tough. But wasn't this also the jumping off point for him to do, shoot, what was the play? Aquas or something like that? I feel like he did Aquas before this, but I don't was know it? exactly when it fell yeah. in line. Yeah. With like the full frontal nudity on stage? Yeah, I heard about that and maybe that also played. So it must have been before this because I felt like that made me feel like he was less, because people made fun of that, right? It was, again, the whole idea that he was really trying to break out of the Harry Potter paradigm, so he felt like he had to do this, you know, More play, mature. Yeah. Yeah, this, yeah, on stage, and then exposing himself, you know, this actor we previously saw as a child, to your point, you know, getting up there, and really doing an adult thing. And yeah. you're like, is it a joke? Is it serious? Like, was it good? And I think that the critical reviews were very lukewarm, generally, which didn't help the situation, I think. I think there were a lot of Harry Potter's wand jokes. <laughs> I'm sure there were. <laughs> that's, that's all I know. <laughs> all right. Well, well, with that, Anne, why don't, why don't you roll the trailer for this movie? <laughs> there were so many good Harry Potter jokes I know, to make I after this. So I was like, comments. please don't <laughs> cut me off. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We'll move into trailer time. Here we go. And action.
During afternoon tea, there's a shift in the air, a bone trembling chill that tells you she's there. There are those who believe the whole town is cursed, but the house in the marsh is by far the worst. She once is unknown, but she always comes back. The specter of darkness. The woman in black. In a small English village in 1889, three girls are having a tea party. They suddenly look up at something off screen and, and appearing in trance, jump to their deaths from a bedroom window. In Edwardian era London, 1906, the wife of lawyer Arthur Kipps dies in childbirth. Four years later, Kipps is instructed as a last attempt to keep his job to visit the small village to retrieve any relevant documents left by Alice Drableau the deceased owner of Eel Marsh House, an isolated and desolate estate on the marshland, as a prelude to the sale of the house. Upon arrival, Arthur finds many of the villagers rather unwelcoming, especially at the local inn owned by the Fishers. Mr. Fisher refuses to give Arthur room and board, even though it was prearranged by Arthur's job. Mrs. Fisher convinces her husband to let Arthur stay the night in the attic, the same room where the three daughters died. Local wealthy landowner Samuel Daly whom he met on the train ride over, takes pity on him and invites him to dinner at his home. All right, can, can we start with, I know I don't like to, I don't personally do not like to talk about the trailer that much, but there's that whole rhyme. Did I miss that in the movie? Or did they just invent, no. invent that for the trailer? I think that was invented. I missed the rhyme. That's <laughs> <laughs> what the little I, girl was the, saying the, the entire The entire time. trailer? <laughs> I, was, I was so entranced by the creepy monkeys and music boxes. And I was just thinking about how much like that was still startling. Just seeing it again in the trailer. So, fun fact: like most of the the um the displays of the dolls and stuff were actually antiques. So, what I want to ask somebody who grew up in this time frame is, what in the French toast are you thinking that you're going to sit there and make these creepy ass dolls and then say, "Here, little child, play with us"? <laughs> you're just asking for a murder. Oh my god! I so to your point, I was going to say, where do they source these things? Because <laughs> they were terrifying yes oh my god kudos to whomever the set dresser was in this jeez it's like each one was creepier than the next i know oh and the eyeballs were so realistic on every oh god, one of them horrible i can't horrible. even imagine that shopping trip like i want to go out and buy some stuff for this movie oh creepy 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 yeah great creepy clowns great stuffed monkeys great decrepit baby doll with an eyeball falling out awesome like <laughs> oh my god I'm, I'm so nuts yeah, that's – but it, it made me laugh because actually my sister got into collecting little, like, mime porcelains. 
Oh my god! At why? some point, why? And it made me laugh because I was like, "Oh my god, that that clown kind of reminds me of like these mime porcelains." But I will say that they were generally much friendlier looking. They were not creepy, and that creepy clown had like its tongue sticking out. Yes, like he I looked mean, like a devil clown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was bad. They chose like the worst incarnation of sort of all of those dolls and animals. In that it was room. like they took John Wayne Gacy and made him into a toy and said, "Here you go, three year old, play with this." <laughs> Horrible. Just saying. If you weren't traumatized enough by the woman in black, you surely would have been by the stuffed animals and mimes in your room. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Maybe that's why they were jumping out the window. <laughs> I was say the same thing. <laughs> did they have uh, creepy dolls? I can't remember if the girls had creepy dolls. I guess yeah, they did. They, they had were por- at the tea set. They had porcelain the dolls, porcelain but they, they didn't dolls. have like the creepy animals, though, did they? they Their weren't faces the were like almost dirty or moldy or mm-hmm. i don't know like they've been in a fire or something well, there wasn't every everything was dirty and moldy back then they made the dolls look like the girls they were dirty everybody was dirty back in the 1800s Those old dolls were cute i'm just saying in 1800s dirty people yeah <laughs> so much the, dirt the, <laughs> the dolls were still creepy even then but that that room with the extra special creepy dolls was definitely over the top for sure so, you know, same thing about the trailer, but, you know, moving into the first scene where you see the three girls playing with the tea set, back to sort of the clinking with the, you know, the, the porcelain tea set as well. As soon as that began, I just have to say, on top of the set dressing, whomever the sound editor was on this, a phenomenal job. Absolutely. I mean, just throughout this, the steps and the creaking and the remastered wind blowing, I mean, all this stuff, the clinking of the ceramics unbelievable and it's all creepy it's all <laughs> terrifying i think the movie has to be like that right it has to be very good in the sound and audio and the music and the atmospherics because there really isn't that much going on from the character perspective as far as like characters talking to each other or any drama and that so the drama has to come from the surroundings yeah but i mean that's like any scary movie right well i mean to some extent but usually like you have some sort of husband-wife duo doing something or you have some sort of dramatic you know you had the the demon in uh in annabelle that i think seemed to me to interact a bit more than i see what you're saying with like the woman in black i don't know so like an action versus suspense so if you're having more spooky action versus the suspense the sound mastering has to be upped it has to up the ante on the suspense yeah it just has to carry more of the movie i guess is what i would say that's fair so it's funny this movie as i was watching it this time you know, you have the, the train and you have him reference a telephone and then there's a car. And I'm like, when does this movie take place? I'm trying to – because it looks like it should be like the late 1800s, like the Jack the Ripper time period from the dress. You know what I mean? Like mm. that's what it looks like to me, mm-hmm. like all the sort of technology from that perspective in, in, the, in the wardrobe. Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, when you get into the village and all of a sudden the guy has a car and I'm like, well, obviously not the late 1800s. So I, I guess the movie technically takes place in 1910. Uh, because per the wiki here, his his wife dies in 1906, and his kid's four years old. True. Yeah, so, I was thinking it was before the first war. World war, war yeah. yeah, which would make sense with your theory. Yep. So, mm-hmm. the, and, he, and he does say, you know, it's the first car in the village type of thing. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, okay, he's a little cutting edge. Yeah, the whole thing was a little like out of time and space from that perspective because you are thinking. Yeah, turn of the century type of thing, and then you've had this weird technology, but then they get into the town, 
And the town is so, you know, oh, yeah, again, backwards, it's rural, yeah. right? right? And I yeah. was, yeah, agree. I was going to say backwards and, you know, isolated and, you know, made me think of Chocolat, actually, when they go into the town. I never saw Chocolat. Oh, oh. <laughs> Chocolat. You will have to see Chocolat. I will uh, have to add that to my list. Um, same town, same, same idea. Okay. Where they go into the town and it's sort of, you know, rewind the clock 20, 50 years type of thing. It made me think of Sleepy Hollow. Especially the one with Johnny Depp in it from the late '90s, because he he's in um in New York City, I think, and then he goes off to the village, and the village is way back, you know, way retrograde compared to the even retrograde at the time, um, New York City. So, want to throw another Johnny Depp reference out there, Helen? Because we got two for two going on. Do I have one? I don't know. He's in Chocolat, and he's in Sleepy Hollow. What else you got? P- pirates I, I have another one Isn't actually there a gate or something the ninth, gate ninth the gate yeah, yeah ninth of course gate, yeah. of course yeah i don't i don't remember the movie but it was good ninth, ninth <laughs> gate, yeah. no i have another one actually which is um uh secret window secret window thank oh. you so, nightmare so, on elm street well nightmare oh. on elm street. but secret window has johnny depp in about the first 30 minutes of the movie just johnny depp just by himself carrying the whole movie does an excellent job and this movie you know daniel radcliffe it's all on his shoulders, basically, and the sound editor, obviously. But <laughs> but like it's mostly on on uh Harry Potter's shoulders there. So I don't know that he does as good a job as Johnny Depp does in Secret Window, but yeah, that's Johnny that's early Johnny Depp. I didn't love Secret Window. Maybe we should review that like early, next or so something. he was early Johnny Depp? You would think he would be comparable in age? Well I thought he was old Johnny Depp. I thought he was like forty. No, not not he's in his probably thirties in that movie, uh-huh. but but um. Well, we should figure out the age so we can compare Johnny Depp's I mean, looks to Ray. Well, well, I mean, yeah, no, no, I'm, I meant career-wise. I meant early, as in like not late Johnny Depp, is in where he's, you know, past his prime and now kind of now a wife beater, that sort of thing. Oh, is that? Uh, yeah, I don't follow Johnny Depp. He's he's an al- he's an alcoholic. I guess, he's whatever. just moved into the realm of Tom Cruise and Mel Gibson and everybody oh, else. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's unfortunately a little, he, he's a little cray. Entertaining but mm. sad. Yeah. No, it is <laughs> not right. But, no, but TMZ fodder. Funny thing is, I I actually don't like the ending of the Secret Window that much, but the beginning part there I really thought was very strong with Johnny Depp. Okay, and to your yep. point, I mean, it's fair that you know, while I love Daniel Radcliffe, love you, Daniel, and love Harry Potter, you know, he was really stoic throughout this. I mean, he was intense. I mean, I remember thinking through this whole movie that that boy's got balls. I was like, damn, he's so brave throughout yeah. this movie, right? He made so many choices that I'm like, why would uh, you go there? You, you can call you can call those bad choices. It's okay. You know, it, but it wasn't like you watch some of these movies where they play it off like they're being dumb. Right. And it's a dumb choice. They just, like we joke, they don't have survival skills or they don't know any better and they're just making these stupid decisions. This was like very intentional. Like he was like, I'm going to find out who that is. I'm going to see what's going on. Like. I don't know. It didn't feel as dumb to me. I, I don't know. It felt pretty dumb to me. Mm. I mean, I, I wouldn't say it was dumb. I would just say, like, I felt like he was convinced that there was a real person there. Yeah. I think his Which, intensity yeah. pushed that. I would agree with that. eyebrows, man. Uh, so they intense. Are. <laughs> so, so intense. <laughs> so, I, so I have a, a note written here in, in my book, and uh, it's a quote that Johnny Depp, uh, Johnny Depp, Jesus, <laughs> that uh, Daniel Radcliffe's character, Kipps, says to his son, he's like, why do I look so sad talking about uh, oh, the kid's yeah, drawing? Sad face. And he says, that's the way you look, the kid says to him. But in that scene, I have written here, the kid is a better actor than Harry Potter. Because I actually thought the little boy did a tremendously better job Such a cute of, of acting mm-hmm. in that scene. And in fact, the whole movie, kind of when you saw him, 
than I think Daniel Radcliffe really? did. Really? So, like, there is an, a critic who believes that he didn't do a good job, but I thought he did a good job on I, this. I don't think that he does a terrible job, but I do think he's, he, he, whether the direction or whatever, he's very stoic through most of the movie. And the movie sits on his shoulders, so there's a lot, not a lot of, like, facial expression going on there he just kind of takes you through the movie and he does at the end obviously at the climax he, he gets he gets a little you know his eyebrows move a little bit but but, um, <laughs> but I, I i don't know you know i don't think it was bad i just i just don't know that it was really that strong so a performance i mean i'm not going to pretend to understand daniel radcliffe's acting maturity Method. <laughs> through the years but what i will say is you as you watch him through harry potter again and we've talked about this before the sort of when they're younger or fresher actors they're just so authentic. They are just so like in the moment, experiencing joy and experiencing sadness. They're just so authentic. And I felt like you could really see him through Harry Potter progress under really like the clench of these directors. And I don't know if it was the directors or other coaching or what happened, but even through that series, you see him become more stoic and his face is less reactive. It's almost like he read too many bad reviews of like, oh my God, Daniel Radcliffe is so overexpressive. He needs to get his shit together and like calm down. And he was like, all right, I'm just going to like lock it up in a box and just like be a semi-robot man because I can't be overly overacting type of thing. And you see him do that in Harry Potter. And I thought, you know, here it didn't really occur to me because the character was the way that he portrayed it was so intense, was so strong, was pushing through it. You're kind of like, what's his motivation? Because I was a little bit like, well, his wife died four years ago and like, he's still distraught over yeah. it. Yeah. I, I was trying to figure that out too. Like I thought she had died sometime after the boy was born, yes. but then they show her die in childbirth and I'm yes. like, wait a minute, it's been four years and you're not over it and you have of? a four-year-old boy and to you take got, care of and, and you like, got that uh, nanny but he loves her <laughs> look at the shrugging he got, got that, that nanny <laughs> the wife i thought was hot yeah of course she was She's gorgeous yeah but she she's dead yeah he, for four yeah, years but like the it, nanny was i don't know not 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 all bad not as gorgeous as the i don't know Ray, if I, Ray's if just saying good daniel enough. radcliffe had that wife <laughs> and you're wondering why he's still upset about it. I'm just her. saying four years later. Like, I'm know. just saying. She was, he's, he's not going to get a looker like that again. Well, I don't, he doesn't have to. He can settle for the nanny. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was like a bit much, right? That he was still like, quote unquote, distraught it four years later. Ross, my yeah, really? Yeah, I, think, yeah. I, I felt like that I was think a about bit much. this. Like, like, you think his employer is they're being dicks by being like, you got to get your shit together. But when you realize it's been four years, like, those guys have really been giving him every chance. Yeah, now, now that you say that, I'm like, okay, yeah, I agree that they he probably should have lost his job like three years ago. But, um, by, by the way, not to interrupt you, but all I could think of was, um, 13 ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and Monk from 13 yeah, Ghosts. he was still upset about his I wife. was like, man, he's going to end up just like Monk. <laughs> no. Oh, that's mad. But like, that, and that's the thing. Like, that's how the movie opens. Like, he's that distraught. And then he's like so stoked the rest of the movie. So then I'm like, wait, but what happened? And now you're like checking, okay, I've got to do this for my family. And you're like, okay, I get that. But then don't you think he would have been a little bit more emotional thinking about his son and trying to like maybe survive and – I don't, I don't know. It, it was like a little, it was a little off, but I was okay with it because he was so intense throughout just the whole thing. To your point, Helen, like there's somebody real there. I'm going to find them out, see what's going on. I'm going to finish the job and get to spend the time with my son after I'm done type of thing. I do have to say, I did not realize how beautiful his eyes were. Oh, 
Ooh la la. That's because it's that's all, in- that's all. Like, I just need because they're okay. sheet over they're, everything but the eyes. They're, they're <laughs> hidden by those caterpillars. Yeah, that's I know. When they started waggling, I was like, all right, I got to stop looking at the eyebrows and just focus on the actual eyes. <laughs> but see, it's the only thing in the movie that has any color. Really? Yeah, that's true. Like everything else is it's some tone of white, like yeah. sea foam yeah. or sea foam. <laughs> gray or black or <laughs> whatever. A weird way to define a color. I'm just saying. So it monochromatic. Well, like they're, they're in the marsh. It's, it's kind of like the whole thing. So I, I was very interested in the fact that they were looking back and forth and I did not realize at, the, at first that they were looking at the woman in black. Yeah. I mean, the cool thing about seeing this the second time was you could see her through the different yeah. frames. So at, even when they jump, you have her silhouette on the right-hand side of the frame. Right. Which, and I didn't see that. And yeah. I think this time I saw her kind of like eerily poking up throughout mm-hmm. where I don't know if I had noticed how many times she actually popped up the first time I saw it. Right. Exactly. Because the first time you don't know what's going on. Right. So, you know, all the way back to that very first scene where, you know, you just assume it could be a shadow or a drape or just something off screen. Like, it doesn't matter. Now you're very clearly like, oh, that's the woman black. Oh, the one other thing I had to say, which I thought was interesting, was the whole juxtaposition of Daniel Radcliffe having these flashbacks to his wife in her wedding gown yes. with the white veil and then flash forward to the woman in black with the oh, black veil. look at you. Yeah. So I was like, ah, oh, symbolism. I get it. <laughs> so just ran into the microphone. <laughs> So whereas signs, I was like, I didn't understand any of that. <laughs> this, I was like, oh, I get it. It's cool. She's like, you know, his angel, his savior. The Never wife. picked up on it. Yes. And I love you for that. Right? Yeah. Because they were like the same in the whole veil, the whole white dress, the wandering through the, I mean, the woman in black was in the graveyard and the woman in white was like sort of through a meadow. Yeah. So it was very similar symbolism for both of them. So I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, that, you know, like just like the blonde hair versus the dark hair. Yes. Everything was like, yeah, very opposite. Yeah, it was interesting. I will say that when the girls jumped out the window, uh, one of the, uh, I think, unintentionally funny parts to me was you hear the mom go, ah, my babies. And I kind of felt like that was kind of funny. Not, not, no, not that's sad. not right, right? It, it wasn't, it was supposed to be sad, but the way that, I think the way that the camera was like moving back away from the window and it was like getting ready to cut scene. The way she said it, I don't know. I, I thought it was funny. You're gonna have to cut that. You're gonna get lots of haters. <laughs> so, it's okay. I have I have a problem with kids dying in movies, but just the so way they that triplets? they film it. That was one thing that I was confused about. They were very close in age. Well, what else do you have to do up in England village, English village, with I no mean, cars I, and no I nothing? Feel like you're doing a lot of dishes and cleaning up the soot. The next morning, Arthur goes to meet his legal contact, Mister Jerome, who tries to hurry him away from the village. Arthur, undeterred, pays a local to take him to Eel Marsh. The local man tells Arthur he will not be able to pick him up for a few hours due to the rising tide over the single pathway to the house. While exploring the inside of the house, Arthur is distracted by odd noises, a bolted nursery, and the appearance of a spectral entity in funerary garb. He hears sounds on the marshes of a carriage in distress and a screaming child, but sees no one on the causeway. Upon his return to the village, Arthur attempts to alert the village constable to what he heard in the marsh, only to be dismissed. Two children enter the station with their sister, Victoria, who has ingested lye, but she subsequently dies almost immediately afterwards. All right. Can I just say that I was a little confused why they were all freaking out and trying to get him out of the town? Yes. 
I, I agree. I, I can't remember what that movie is. Oh, it's like Population 361 or whatever that movie is. 316, I think. Oh, wow. I was so close. Is it really? I can totally so. pull that out of thin air. Okay. Um, so the idea of that movie is that it can only remain the same level of population. So every person that enters, somebody has to die. Oh. So it's a fascinating movie. And I was thinking, like, I was like, is that again what happens? I'm trying to remember because they're just, like, freaking out that he's even there and don't want to make eye contact and, like, you know, don't look at my children, don't interact with them. And you're kind of like, what's the deal? Like, wouldn't it have been so much easier just to talk to him and tell him what you thought was going on or this or that or just be careful of blah, blah, blah? I just thought that whole, like, interaction was weird. Mm, strange outsider from them, our city again. No, I mean, they didn't want him to go to the house because they didn't want him to see the lady in black because then. Well, then they should have talked to him and been like, don't go out there. Don't go out there. We're worried that our children are going to die versus like just shutting the shutters in his face. Well, that's what Mr. Jerome does, right? Mr. Jerome's face is like, hey, we got it taken care of. We got this paperwork. I got the paperwork for you here. Take it. Go back to London. No problem. Just, uh, you know, go about your business type of thing. And he doesn't listen to him. He never says don't go to the house. No, I understand that. But He's not going to believe him, right? That's the whole thing. He's, if you said there's a ghost there, and if you go, you see the ghost, it's going to kill some kids. Like he's going to be like, what? What? I, like he's going to go out anyway. I, I think didn't like. I guess it didn't really make a strong connection that like you had to be at the house to see the woman in black because you have like the girls jumping out the window. Well, who saw the black? Oh sure, woman? yeah, right, exactly. I, agree. I was thinking there. the same thing. That was definitely an open plot hole. Right. Because at some point, they should have addressed that somebody had seen her for those three girls to die. And did they need to see her three times? Three different people's year for three girls to die? Like, that was a bit right. much. I didn't like that they didn't close that up. Yeah. Well, yeah, they don't really explain, like, where she appears or when she appears or why she appears. It's just that he goes to the house so he sees her, obviously. Right. But like you say, like, when what other times is she showing up that other people are dying? It's like they're making this assumption that anybody who goes there is going to see her. Yeah. And, and then, th- therefore, a child will die. Yeah, and they also did not make the connection the way that they kind of keep try to keep him away from their kids. That like, does he have to? Is it some kid he's seen that then she goes after? It's like that he's the connection to the kid, or is she just choose any random kid? Well, exactly, and that's like we're not there yet, but the girl locked up in the basement, right? You're know, like, you really think you're going to save her locking her up in the basement? And again, to your point, Ray, is it like an exposure? Is it sort of like a one or two like levels of separation? Is this like a six degrees of Kevin Bacon? What's happening? I don't yeah. know. Well, <laughs> well, like- well, it would kind of make sense. Like if they're thinking, well, we have her locked away so nobody sees her but us and we're not going to see the lady in black, or woman in black, sorry, because we're not going to the house or whatever. So I guess that's true. And he goes in, looks and sees her in the door. And then, of course, then she dies because he sees the woman in black. So maybe there's some weird connection that way. Now all I can hear is the Eric Clapton song, Lady in Red, <laughs> playing in my head. <laughs> Lady in Black. Because <laughs> you said Lady in Black. I, I know. I know. <laughs> so I also thought it was really interesting, like, traditionally, and I'm not a historical expert, but you usually set up your home in a place that is easy to get to and like not in the middle of a march right yeah so like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. this house is like in the middle of freaking nowhere that's where cool rich eccentric people build their manners <laughs> i see and then the name of it is horrible eel yeah. house i know ew yeah i thought it was il at first and then we are i mean i've seen the eel version of it on the wiki and elsewhere so i was like so it's not me thinking it's ill marsh it's actually eel Yes. Marsh. Are there eels in marshes? 
I know. I don't know. I, I'm with you 100%, Helen. I wasn't even sure what the name was again as I was going through this. I was like, what are they saying? And I thought, again, it was like you know, some kind of accent, mm-hmm. masking it. And then at some point, you pretty clearly hear them say eel, you know, eel house and your eel marsh or whatnot. And you're just like, eel? Like the sea creature? And to your point, they don't live in marshes or like <laughs> what? Or are, I don't know. Are there like saltwater, freshwater eel? Yeah, I guess there aren't. Maybe. I, the whole thing was weird. I don't know. I, I kind of thought of it as a throwback to um, H.P. Lovecraft's uh, A Shadow Over Innsmouth because they have this, the marsh, uh, the marshes are like the name of one of the prominent uh, families that live in this town that's being kind of degraded, genetically degraded by these creatures, whatever. Eels? Not eels, not eels, but but they, <laughs> and, and there's like, there's the, I forget what the house, something house, and I don't know, just when I heard it, I was like, oh, mm. you know, it's not, it's a, it probably wasn't because it's more aligned to the marsh, the marsh environment, but, but anyway, that's so, kind of what I thought of. But the house was wicked cool. I mean, first of all, mm. the physical house was amazing. The grounds, like, digitally enhanced or whatever they did were super cool, and then this whole idea that the tide comes in, tide goes out, talk about amping up right the isolation yes. the creepiness of that i don't know if you guys have ever been to uh, i think it's chateau saint michel in france but it's the same i it's like their actually, wine oh yes i know right every time you see that you're like oh yeah that's, that's <laughs> like a real place and it's actually the same thing where the tide comes in really? and the chateau is completely isolated yes and you have to park like in certain areas of the parking lot or else your car will get flooded and that, that type of thing so Yes, they're actually this huge chateau. And I wonder if that's where they got the idea because I've never seen that anywhere else. But that is just amps up, like I said, just the isolation, the suspense, the intensity, like to the nth degree. All of a sudden you understand the physical tide actually comes in and washes away the causeway, the road, the one thing in and out of here. Like people can't get it. No way in, no way out type of thing. And it's, oh my God, it's like so terrifying. Like even the thought. And, of course, Daniel Radcliffe's like, no, man, I'm cool. I got a sandwich. I'll see you later. I know. I'm like, what about the groceries? (laughs) We need snacks. I know. I would have so many snacks if I got stuck there. (laughs) How is my Amazon instant delivery going to get through? I know. They'll just drone it in. This is a good example. We need the Amazon drones. That night during a dinner visit to the Daly's home, Sam reveals that he and his wife Elizabeth lost their young son to drowning. Elizabeth suffers from fits of hysteria, which she attributes to her boy speaking through her. During the dinner, in one of her fits, Elizabeth draws an image on the dinner table of a woman hanging. When Sam attempts to drive Arthur to Eelmarsh the next day, a fleet of local men attempt to drive him off. Victoria's father blames Arthur for his daughter's death, as Arthur saw that woman at Eelmarsh. Sam gives Arthur a bag filled with candles and food as Arthur plans on spending the night at Eelmarsh. Sam also lets his dog stay with Arthur for company. Arthur uncovers correspondence between Alice and her sister, Janet Humphrey. In letters, Janet denies Alice's verdict that she is mentally unfit to take care of her son, Nathaniel, and demands to see him, as the Drablos have formally adopted him and barred her from contact. A death certificate reveals that Nathaniel drowned in a carriage accident on the marsh. The letter reveals that Jeanette blames Alice for saving only herself and leaving Nathaniel's body in the marsh. The death certificate reveals that Janet hanged herself from a beam in the nursery, vowing never to forgive Alice. Arthur once again hears odd noises throughout the house and discovers the sounds are coming from the nursery, which is now unlocked. Arthur sees an apparition of a woman hanging herself. Through the nursery window, Arthur then sees the silhouette of a boy crawling out of the ground and walking towards the house. 
Hearing these intense bangings at the front door, Arthur goes outside in a thunderstorm and sees dead children in the marshes, Victoria among them. The next morning, Sam picks up Arthur from Eel Marsh, and Arthur tells him about the night's events. In town, Jerome's house catches fire with his daughter still inside. When Arthur attempts to save her, he sees the woman in black goading the girl into burning herself. The townspeople blame Arthur for this death as well. Sam takes Arthur back to his home to keep him away from the village people. Mrs. Daly is freaking nuts. I, I loved, loved her. it. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> she was like, her crazy hair, her just like, the whole possession thing too, I feel like they probably could have gone into a little bit more depth with because clearly, I'm assuming it's the son comes in and kind of possesses her and forces her to draw. Yeah, I guess, but it's, inter- it's interesting because you get the impression from Kip seeing all the kids in the manner that somehow she's like collecting them or keeping them or something. And yet this one boy happens to be able to like possess his mom and try to tell her things, I guess. Right. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. You just wonder like why, if she's collecting all these other kids, why she can't find her own kid who clearly can become a ghost and climb out of the marsh. So I assumed it definitely was not her boy possessing her because she thought that it was. You know, usually it's like, oh, I can speak to my boy. And you're like, no, it's not. Um, So I don't know. I mean, we don't really know who was possessing her at the end of the day. But the way that I kind of interpreted it was that, of course, Daniel Radcliffe, Kip, is reading the newspaper in the train on the way in where it's talking about the seances, right? Mm. And he's like, you know, thinking very thoughtfully, again, four years later, um, (laughs) do I Ouija board my wife? And (laughs) you're kind of like, don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely not um, during a solar eclipse for sure. Let's (laughs) let's not go there. Um, But so the way that I thought about, about it was they were trying to make this statement about superstition and seances and sort of the supernatural, right? The husband was like, don't believe in it. Don't take it for face value. Just don't go down that route. Don't go chasing shadows type of thing. Meanwhile, his wife is having these quote unquote fits that once you see the hanging woman sort of, you know, scratched, etched into the table, um, you, or at least I came to believe were authentic, right? Possessions. So suddenly you're thinking, Oh, she's actually touched or she's actually, right, either seancing and communing with the dead or being possessed to a certain level. So I think to me, it was like less relevant as to who is possessing her and more the idea that you had sort of, again, this like X-Files, right, juxtaposition of these characters next to one another. Yeah, I didn't really buy into this whole, they tried to shoehorn, not really shoehorn, but I'm going to use the word shoehorn, uh, this whole like, is it science versus you know superstition thing? I think from a um, from a time period perspective was still legitimate, right? In the early twentieth century, there's just still sort of the the seances and the mediums and and the mm-hmm. spiritualism and all that. Very. But I felt like I don't. Know, it felt tacked on to, to to the movie to some extent to me. I agree with that because you wonder. So she's getting possessed, and we don't know exactly who. I assumed it was the son, but you know we have that question. But what was the message? So, yes, you you see her draw the the hanging woman. Okay. But, like, it doesn't end up helping anybody at the end of the movie. It doesn't give you the resolution, which is usually what these types of things give you. They give you a sign of how to resolve it so that, you know, the ghost who is possessing people or hurting people or whatever gets to her conclusion that she wants of reuniting with her son. We don't get that. We just get these random weird messages that don't really tell you much of anything except for, yes, this – coincides with what actually happened to her hanging herself 
Yeah, I mean, I feel like, you know, the idea of the two, the couple with like sort of the rational and then the mystical, right? His and her, you know, that's definitely secondary or tertiary, right? The point that he's like very scientific. I've got this car. I'm the first in the village and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, right, like commuting with the dead type of thing. Okay, that's fine. That's cool. Um, but I mean, you know, at the end of the day, that, that mechanism, like the first time you watch this, you don't understand that the woman in black is making these kids kill themselves. You don't understand that. You don't know what's going on. And that's where you learn it. That is a good point. That maybe it's more for the audience and not for the actual progression of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's used as a narrative device, I think, more than anything. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk about the house a little bit, because this is where we really get into the scary stuff. This is where you get to see the nursery. You get uh, the, the, the creepy dolls we talked about earlier and that crazy monkey thing whatever that monkey thing is With the thing, rattles that thing yeah. was terrifying the first time i saw the it i was like a oh. monkey i was like holy <laughs> God, get out of the house and then the boy comes up out of the marsh, marsh and i was like oh that's that's Ugh, that's the yeah. end there i'm out of there and then of course you have the whole thing with the window seeing the woman in black in the handprint yes and and he sticks his hand up there and yeah there's the screen yeah. yeah that was very i i feel like i really enjoyed the the doors locked and he's trying to figure out what key fits, how to get into this door, what's beside – because there, you hear these sounds and, and they're loud sounds. I can't believe – I guess maybe doors back then were probably built much significantly better and more secure than what we have now. But And, and he's very tiny, so he probably couldn't bust through. <laughs> His little but, hobbit muscles couldn't break on through that door. Then finally he goes up there and like the door is open. And I'm like, okay, let's just walk right on through. I That that would be like, I'm out. <laughs> Man, he was so intense. I mean, that house was so creepy and the shadows and then him falling asleep, right? And the shadow, the door opening behind him and the shadow coming out. Thank God the dog was there to save him type mm-hmm. of thing. I mean, and also there were multiple nights in this house, which which again, I felt like the wiki kind of like glossed over that a little bit. But like he had different nights, like different times that he was coming back to the house. And the fact that he did that and then he came back for more. Right. And then was like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm cool. I'm just going to work through the night. Oh. Okay. Um, I missed that our our buddy um, Daly gave him those candles, which right. was... I didn't get that either. Yeah. I mean, thank God he had those candles, but you were kind There's of so like... There's so many candles, too. Yeah. They yeah. just lighting them all over the place. I was like, is this thing going to burn down? But it makes sense because that's right. They didn't have electricity. Right. And certainly the eel house would not have electricity. So no, it, yeah. So that it, it made some sense. But I got such a haunting of Hill House vibe yes. off of this, right? With the haunted house... The door the that wouldn't open in the nursery. The wallpaper, yeah. the door that mysteriously opened. Right. It's like just paint that door red already and call it a day. <laughs> the rocking chair. That was creepy. So creepy. It's oh, not yeah. even rocking so just a little creepy. bit. It is rocking where like that whoever was whatever entities in there yeah. is rocking like crazy. Yeah, and he and he goes in there and he sees it. Mm-hmm. So at that point, there's no well, somebody's hanging out, whatever, and bump the rocking chair. Like, <laughs> you know if a rocking chair is rocking by itself or not, right? Like, even in the 1800s or early 1900s, you know what a rocking chair rocks like. Right. So, at that point, I'm out. And I feel like I don't know that they gave him enough motivation to stay, in my opinion, where it isn't like, are you just doing stuff just – because you have to, because the movie has to get you there. You know what I mean? Like, what are you hanging out for? Grab the papers, go back to the hotel, and look at them there. Like, you don't need to look at them in <laughs> in the house. Yeah, I mean, I guess he kept finding, finding papers, like, in 
different areas. So we'll go back to the house and grab papers, <laughs> and then just get back in the car and drive. Like, I mean, there are ways to do this that don't involve dealing with rocking chairs that rock themselves. But I mean, for the bulk of it, it was before that, you know. But even still, I, I mean, agree with you. I, I even still, but he was very like, like Helen was saying, like just thought somebody was in the house or playing around, or like the woman was on the grounds, or this, like he was just like, well, it is what it is. He was not. F- like the way I interpreted that was he was not feeling but, haunted. But here's the for thing: the first 24, he's only hours. he's only five foot five. I'd be worried about other people being in the house and beating me to death. Who do you know who's living there? <laughs> he had that hatchet. He was ready. Well, he, he only had the hatchet it. by the time he was ready to chop the door down. But that I'm I'm just saying before that, like <laughs> I, I will say, yeah, like <laughs> as we talk about this movie being scary, I mean. Like, that room haunted me after watching this movie. Yeah. Not not the second time, because like I said, it was just much less creepy. But, oh my God, the first time I watched it, I can't remember if I saw it in the theater or at home. But, I mean, it was definitely a dark black room I was watching it in. And just the idea of that room and the suspense and the crazy rocking chair. I mean, I, I had nightmares about that room of just like, you know, peering into the corner, into the black, into the darkness. I felt like I had to recall there being a lot more darkness and just staring into the black and even more suspense than there was in the movie. So I don't know if they edited some of that out or if it, that was just sort of me misremembering, which is entirely possible or exacerbating, exaggerating, I should say. But it's just, wow. I mean, how they layer that on like the crazy rocking. And then he has the vision of the woman hanging herself right there, screaming at him, like you guys were saying, with a hand and the face. And then the idea that he figures out sort of the methodology around this whole thing, right? He figures out like sort of that this will happen or at this certain time and she'll come across and she will come into the room. And he's just waiting there, like, bring it on. Right. And I guess – so I guess the one thing that I didn't pick up on – during the watching of it, but having this discussion now, like, I feel like my reaction would have been a little bit more extreme than what he had. And it kind of reminds me of when we reviewed Annabelle and the sewing machine goes off. At least that guy investigated, like, how are you running? Like, I don't get this. Whereas, like, I feel like the rocking chair, he's just looking at it and he's like, okay, yeah, there's a crazy rocking going on here. Like, I don't feel like he had as much of a concerned reaction than I would have had. Maybe it's like, ah, oh, these old 1800s manners are drafty. It's just the wind. <laughs> if I don't that, know. it was that drafty, his five foot five frame would have been blown across the room. <laughs> All right, so so he, he gets out of the house and he goes back to the village. And this is where Jerome's house is on fire and his daughter's inside. Yeah. And Arthur goes down and sees uh, sees the woman in black kind of making the the little girl catch herself on fire. Uh, and and that's pretty much when the village people are are done with him. I, I think. just okay. It's like this is another weird situation where like yeah, it doesn't feel like he's making a dumb decision like Anne had said before. But who runs into a burning building for somebody else's kid? Like who locks their kid in a basement like that? All oh, this is just bizarre. Yeah, I, I could I could get behind him going down into the basement to try to get the girl i guess like it's a kid you know what i mean i get it i don't know why there weren't other people doing the yeah, same there's thing like maybe 50 people out there i feel like at that point they all would have i don't know like the fire people i don't think they have fire people back then so the way not in the village i don't think so not no, the village so isn't the idea that like nobody knows about this girl so i understood this as this couple right they were there the house caught on fire people evacuated the parents the parents scream out the daughter's name 
And the idea was that they had had this second daughter and people didn't even know about her, right? And they had locked her away. But Arthur Kipps had been in there, had seen the room. He knew he could help. Ran in and was like, I'm the guy to get down there and like unlock her and get her out type of thing. So you think she was locked away her whole life? Pretty much, yeah. I got the impression it was just like recent. The first daughter had died. No. And they said, we decided to have another daughter after she died. And had locked her away. Like, they had kept her away right away, was my understanding. Well, regardless of whether she was secret or not, when the house starts burning down, you just divulge that secret to the rest of the village. Hey, I kept my daughter in the basement. She's locked up. We got to get her out now because the place is burning down. (laughs) Go. You heard them scream hysterically. I mean, it's all happened within, like, one second. Like, he gets there, they they scream the name, and she... They were trying to. Didn't you see him? They they were holding him back. Uh, You know what it was? He's only five foot five. He slipped right underneath the the smoke, and that's how it was. Nobody else could get through. He's like the Flash. <laughs> you guys are so mean. Hate on poor Daniel Radcliffe. <laughs> I'm not. I'm, I'm. I'm hating on the movie, not on Radcliffe in that in that regard. Because you would have thought other the father would have been. They they were holding him back. They weren't allowing him to go into the house. I guess. I don't think I would have left the house in the first place. Yeah, I, if I knew my kid was still in there, I would not have left my house. We don't know how the circumstances yeah, we, are. Right. Yeah, we don't. And you, yeah, you're right. Well, you don't. But like, I feel like there is more of an effort to be made. Well, you know, honestly, I kind of thought that with all that smoke, he wouldn't be breathing very well anyway. No. Like, I don't think he would have survived going down there and getting back up. He would have like asphyxiated or something. That room itself was yeah, like. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. Like, he didn't have, like, a towel over his head or anything. No. Or a dishcloth in his case. Whatever. Whatever it's it would like, don't fit. you know that you need to get down? <laughs> Stop, drop, and roll, Daniel well, he, well, he, didn't ha- he didn't have to. He was already down there. <laughs> he just ran. So, I, was, I was waiting so for another, got, another so short man through. joke. So got through. All Look, right. The, the dishcloth thing. But also. when she pours the gasoli- gasoline? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, well, it, it was lamp oil. Oh, oil. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Gasoline. So. She's siphoned it out of the car. I'm sorry. Yes. The one car. Same idea. The one car we have in the town. I know. It was really sad. I just, yeah, just seeing her do that and then just lighting up is just bad. Yeah, the first time that was pretty horrible. I mean, certainly seeing it the second time, you know what's coming. So you're just kind of like, oh, here we go. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it was pretty traumatic. A lot of the kid death scenes were very traumatic. I mean, the girl swallowing the lie and coughing mm-hmm. up blood in his arms was horrible. Here again, he's haunted by the girl torching herself and walking towards him, which also seemed like a bit much. I mean, yeah. she wouldn't. Yeah, I, I kind of felt like the scene with the lie, the girl with the lie, that that was the first time I felt like Daniel Radcliffe kind of emoted very strongly. And I thought he did a good job of it. Like I thought yeah. his, his reaction in there I was agree with that. both confused and like horrified and like, oh my gosh, and the whole thing. I thought it was good. And like having zero part in the film, that little girl died really good. Mm-hmm. Her, her makeup <laughs> was- did a great job. Her makeup was amazing. Yeah. I mean, when she walked in, you were like, oh my God. Like something's wrong. Like yeah. she looked like she's death. gone. Yeah, she looked like that. And then like just the dead. spewing of the blood was just oh. At her son's grave, Elizabeth cryptically tells Arthur that each time the woman in black is seen, a child dies. Elizabeth becomes possessed by her dead son, who explains that the village children are being taken, committing suicide, by the woman in black as penance for her own son being taken. Arthur realizes that his son Joseph, who is coming to the village that night, is Jeanette's next victim. In an effort to lift the curse, Arthur and Sam find Nathaniel's body in the marsh and place it in his nursery, where Arthur lures Jeanette to him. Sam is lured into another part of the house by the ghost of his dead son, who locks him in the room. Arthur and Sam bury Nathaniel with Jeanette, though her voice echoes through the house that she will never forgive the wrongs she suffered. Assuming Jeanette pacified, Arthur and his son Joseph meet at the railway station, 
While bidding farewell to Sam, Arthur sees the woman in black Lord Joseph onto the tracks toward an oncoming train. Through attempts to save him, both Arthur and Joseph are killed by the oncoming train, while a horrified Sam sees the spirits of the village children and the woman in black. After the train passes, Joseph spots a woman in white on the tracks, and Arthur identifies her as his late wife, Stella. The family now happily reunited as the woman in black looks ominously on. What I, I know we haven't really touched on this, but with all the documents where they're talking, I guess the Jeanette is writing to her sister to say, hey, like you kind of F me over with this whole situation. I really liked how, yes, she was kind of reading over it, but it was because she kind of got increasingly like erratic as time goes on with the way she was writing those letters. And I enjoyed that part. Like it really made it kind of more realistic. Yeah, I really, to your point, we didn't get to talk about much, but I loved all the document scenes. So we had a few of them sort of back. I want to say at least like three of them where, you know, Kip is going through these documents and sort of piecing together the story as he goes. So I thought that was really well done. Definitely with this crazy erratic handwriting and the voiceovers. And I love that they didn't feel the need to like read every word on the page of every letter type of thing. So they sort of and, you know, um, summarized it and, and moved on. That that was cool. And then it gets into the point where later, you know, of course, now we're at the end of the movie where they try to break the curse and, you know, reunite the, you know, son's body with the mother. And then, of course, you realize that's not all that she wants. She just wants to continue to make other people suffer because she's crazy. Yeah. I could see that if they were to say that not only is she, she's not really the woman who died right her entire spirit it's almost like this the evil that's left over or the evil of her that comes back it's not so you it can't be pacified right you know part of her the good part of her isn't isn't there the right. part that loved her son in a way it's it's the possessive part of her that that, that remains so i i understand the the idea of the the son's body not really pacifying her at all um it is weird to me that kip kind of come kind of comes out of that out of nowhere doesn't he? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I didn't get the well, no, no, just the, just the concept of we're going to reunite the boy oh, with yeah, with the mom. Like, I think it was yeah. smart. Like, it was a very proactive thing for like the character to realize. Usually, they have to be told that or they're whatever. Like, he comes to it in in his own, which is which is cool. Which goes back to the whole document scene, which I like as well. I thought they did the documents very well. They they didn't rely on you having to be able to read real quickly everything that was going on they mm-hmm. gave you the information you needed to to have it make sense which is difficult to do when you have all these documents you're trying to show time and all this other stuff so i think they did a good job detective kip on the <laughs> job <laughs> i also thought it was really neat that they foreshadowed that she was never going to forgive her sister for it so therefore it wouldn't have helped whatever he did yeah also that she might actually have been insane previously so yeah stack that yeah, that just wasn't cool. I just didn't like that move. I mean, come on now. I mean, it's definitely ring-esque where, right, they break her out and, and then they're like, oh, my God, you weren't supposed to break her out. Samara, she's loose now. Oh, my God, she's going to kill us all. But, I mean, it was just like you would think, yeah. I mean, that's what's haunting this woman is that her child was lost in the marsh and so on and so forth and that the body was left there. Yeah, I guess it's really more around the idea that she had the child taken away from her and then the child died is truly the trauma. You know, the trauma isn't just that the body was left in the marsh, so to speak. That was sort of an extra sad bonus <laughs> in, right. in the story. But, I mean, you really are cheering on, you know, Arthur Kip. You're really 
hoping this is going to solve the issue and he's being proactive and he's trying to help the town and help every right gets the, gets that car out there yanks the other horse-drawn carriage out it's like in the marsh pulling out the body he gets that little boy's body you're like oh my god like he's found the actual body like he's holding the boy and it would be it oh. would be preserved i was ball, so disgusted by that scene Ugh. that was a horrible and Ken, like, okay, so all right, I was wondering if the body would be as preserved, and I assumed that it would would be. But like, do you think that the first car in the town was actually capable of pulling something out of that muck? No. Okay, because I didn't. I, well, think I, it was I don't really... think the rope was capable of of probably Not, yeah. holding it. But yeah, the whole scene, I but I didn't the... think it was realistic but they did do a decent job of at least not making it pull the whole thing up onto it like, right. like it couldn't actually get it all the way out so there was a little bit of like hey the rope's straining the car's straining and just got to get the body out before everything collapses so i appreciated the fact that they just didn't ignore the whole the whole concept of reality there i mean hey i'm not speaking for the strength of you know motorized vehicles engines in 1910 <laughs> i don't pretend that i am an expert in that area but i will say that when they shot that um the the tension both literally and metaphysically in the scenes with the rope that the rope was going to break i mean right. every time yeah. they showed that stupid rope i was like oh my god it's gonna snap and i've seen the movie before i've seen it i know what happens i know they get the body out but you're just like oh my god the rope's gonna break the rope's gonna break like what's gonna so um so again i mean it was well shot well mixed you know well played at the end of the day i mean it was just it was like tugs on all your heartstrings and then you're back into the haunting and then you, right. you know and then you're like you know, it's just like all the feels, like you want to feel sad for the crazy lady, but then you've got, you know, this preserved body that they've gingerly wrapped in like, right, Goslin, like in the sheets, right. and you're like, oh my God. And then he says, you know, we want to reunite the mother and sort of have this proper burial and very lovingly puts out all the birthday cards and then the rosary, which I was like, right. ooh, now we're getting a little ballsy. Yeah, I, 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 think, I think he pissed her off with the rosary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I don't know. Did she like reference a rosary or anything in the writings? I was like, ah, that might be a bit much, but I appreciated the gesture. Um, so you've just got like, you're terrified at the same time though. So you've got like, like love and terror and like suspense and regret and just like all this like mixed in together in these scenes. And it's just was so crazy. So what I realized a little bit more in hindsight, which you don't get while you're going through it, is when um, Daly's dead son shows up, lures him into that room and locks him in there. It seems really malevolent. Like it seems yeah. like, right, he's tricking him and something bad is going to happen to him. And then, right, if you really kind of remove everything else, nothing happened to him. So do you think that the dead son was luring him in there to keep him safe? I assume that. Well, I kind of, like, I also, he, there was something off. Like, he wasn't quite right. Like, you could see yeah. some of the degradation. Oh, yeah. It was so, creepy. Yeah, it didn't seem like, I guess, if I was going to lure my parents into a room and lock it to keep them safe, I would try to ghost myself into somebody who looked normal. Yeah. But I don't really know if that's how it works. <laughs> I mean, let's let's assume for whatever reason he can change his physical ghost appearance. But you're absolutely right. The whole thing was like creepy. And I think, you know, of course you're meant to believe that he's luring him into some kind of trap. Right. It's it's a woman in black. Lady in black trap. <laughs> and 
I felt like it didn't pay off enough for the father to realize that, oh, maybe this son was trying to keep me safe. Right. But like once the movie concluded and once we're going through this now with the wiki, I was like, oh, maybe that's why it was in there. Because when you're going through the movie, quite honestly, it seemed totally uh, superfluous. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, I think narratively it's like, oh, wait, this guy's in the house. What do we do with him? Well, we can't have him upstairs with Arthur Kipp because he needs to be doing his thing solo. So we need to do something with him. Okay, let's have this happen so that he's doing something well. Arthur Kipp's doing Dude, something. Dude, he doesn't want to go up there. He ain't going to be up there. He's not help- helping Arthur Kipp. He would be like cowering down the study or something like that, grabbing his puppy dog sitting in the corner. Yeah, but it also, I guess it also <laughs> technically closes his arc, right? One where he's like, there's no such thing as ghosts to, my son's a ghost and I saw him. You know. Well, he sees all the ghosts at the end. I actually yeah. thought that was sort of the full yeah. circle. Right, yeah. Yeah. yeah so. More impactful. Okay, so the other thing that I just thought was really terrifying, I just have to say really quickly, one of the things that scared me the most, so the room, but then also the boy coming out of the marsh. Oh, God, and then the awful. banging yeah, on the door. The banging on the door and then turning of the knobs. Oh, that my always God. gets me. So scary. So scary. Yeah, this time around, I didn't jump as much because I was just like, it really sounded like his buddy was at the door and like maybe in the back of my mind i knew that daily showed back up mm-hmm. so i was like we'll just let him in <laughs> <What's> <laughs> answer the, the damn door what's the big deal but the first time i watched this holy cow i just remember being so terrified that you know it was that child that came up out of the marsh and is now banging on the door and then he does open it as all the dead kids and you're just like oh shit no, then, then it's oh the, the, shit. the footprints when he comes back in which is pretty freaking oh, scary. Yeah, that was, yeah. yeah the whole thing is scary yeah let's be honest Let's fast forward to the end there, because where we're at, um, he he dies. I'm, I'm going to spoil it. Yeah. I mean, I don't think you're spoiling it, because you read it already. I <laughs> <laughs> already read the wiki. A yeah. second which, spoiler which, alert. Which I actually didn't like when I saw the movie, either time, really. I didn't either. I, I didn't need them to die. I, I don't know. But it's kind of, it's almost a little like The Ring. Like, it's still like The Ring. I don't like know why ring. you guys care or why it matters. It's like, that's the point. Because I kind of think that when you're going through this and you're putting so much effort to get through the movie... Somebody should have some sort of happy ending. And nobody really she does. She got him. She got him. In she the got end. him. Like, well, I mean, I guess he sees his wife and then they move off, but then you still see her angry face in the background. Yeah. So, so you're like, like, are they going to torment her go- the ghost now? So, I, I mean, I really felt like the whole angry, you know, woman in black face at the end, you're just like, sequel. Like, that. There are three. Yeah. Oh, there are three? I think there, I believe I saw three. Oh, wow. There's at least two. I'm not sure if yeah. Them, I feel like I, I, I well, I'm going to Google. Well, um yeah i definitely thought that was a bit like i thought that was tacky quite honestly at the end to throw her face back in there so the first time i saw this i don't have any problem with them being run over by the train i mean i don't want them to die but you know it's one of those where she's not done not not gonna stop not gonna end type of thing you know lures them over there lures over the kid daniel radcliffe tries to save his kid and they're both killed um the thing that bothered me is that they happily reunite with his wife right yeah, I mean, the answer here like, is, really? if you can't get over your wife for four years, commit suicide to be with her. Well, the he, end. he didn't actively no, commit suicide. No, I know, but I'm just saying, like, that's die. saving his son. I know, but I'm just saying, like... It was a little bit like you would expect their spirits to be damned because the woman in black had haunted them and lured them in, just like the rest of the kids. So, again, the metaphysics are not holding up. Well, yeah. the wife, the wife she protects brings him. him. To the light. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I guess that's why I have to read it. But I'm like, I, but I'm why didn't you. she protect him earlier? I don't know. There is a 2017 woman in black three. Oh, yeah, oh, and wow. it's the clown with his tongue sticking no. out. No, no, nice. No more mines. 
Oh. Um, yeah. So you assume, like we said, sort of this juxtaposition of the woman in white versus the woman in black, that he, that she is his angel type of thing and saves him and pulls him into the light. But again, like you were saying, Helen, I just feel like they could have played that up more. Mm-hmm. I think you said, like, she should have maybe been there further, you know, to save him at some point right. earlier in the Given movie. some sort of sign somehow. Yeah. Like, I think if they could have done that in a non-gimmicky way... That would have really helped because then you would have been like, well, the wife is out there. You know, she is watching and it just didn't quite connect. It didn't quite land. I thought there was too much extracurricular spiritual stuff going on in the movie personally. Like the the possession of Elizabeth, the dead wife's sort of ghost, maybe not ghost thing and definitely ghost at the end. Like I think they should have stripped all that out. It should have just been the the woman in black doing her thing. You know, I, I thought those other things were somewhat unnecessary but i understand what they're doing thematically and narratively but i don't know yeah i didn't mind that they died at the end it annoyed me that they were reunited so they tried to make a happy ending out of a tragic ending which right. i thought was super lame yeah that i didn't like i and, think that's part of it right either and make them die tragically or just commit. make them happy commit yeah. come on <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah then they throw the woman in black's face at the end you're like wow three tacky things in a row okay all right well now that we've reviewed the movie it's time to rate it only the best movies make it to the top of the hill, and to be the best, they have to perform in three categories. First is technical composition, which represents how well the movie's made, including the script, directing, cinematography, acting, and effects. The second is impact, which represents how well the movie accomplished its emotional intent. Was it scary or funny? Did it make you question mankind or the nature of your reality? And third is enjoyment, which is pretty simple. How much did you enjoy watching the movie? Would you watch it again? Do you never want to watch it again? Our rating scale goes from 1 to 10, with 1 being the worst and 10 being the best. All right, Anne, why don't you start us off with your three scores? Okay, technically, like I said, uh, you know, this held together pretty well for me. Um, The costuming was amazing. The set work was amazing. The special effects, generally speaking, were pretty well done. Um, I did mention, you know, a small plot hole where the three girls, we don't know why they were killed, who saw the woman in black, you know, sort of the add on the superficiality of the other possessions and, and other supernatural pieces didn't bother me. I thought they were pretty well incorporated. So from a technical aspect, I'm going to give it an eight. Um, from an impact, I mean, I don't want to sink this one because it was my second view. I think that's unfair. Um, the impact of this was, like I said, so over the top, like top five scariest movies haunted me for days, months, maybe even years after seeing this. So I'm just going to go ahead and give it a 10 for impact and enjoyment. I did enjoy it. I enjoyed watching it again from, like I said, that very masochistic kind of standpoint. I'm not sure I'd watch it again just because the acting wasn't that great. Um, You know, all in all, I kind of feel like I got almost everything I could get from it um again i don't want to sink it because you know i I wouldn't necessarily watch it again so i'm just gonna give it like a six all right helen so for technical i gave it an eight i agreed on all points with with Anne, so i don't think i have anything else to add there with impact i gave it a seven i i i Remember enjoying the movie, I wouldn't have said it impacted me like she says it impacted her. I And I know it got scarier the, the second time I saw it. I think just because of the Daniel Radcliffe thing. Like, he wasn't Harry Potter to me anymore. So, I gave it a 7. And then for enjoyment, I gave that a 7 because I would watch it again. I wonder if maybe as time goes on, it would still be 
equally as scary. So I would I would be curious to see what a third go around in a couple of years would give me. I gave it a six for technical composition. Uh, I thought it was a well-made movie. As Anne said, the um, costuming was fantastic. The the audio and the um, music was, was fantastic in the movie as well. Uh, Daniel Radcliffe's acting was good, serviceable. Um, I think it could have been either his acting could have been stronger or the direction could have been stronger for his character. And I didn't care for some of the um, uh, extra supernatural stuff in the, in the movie for impact. I gave it a nine. Uh, it was terrifying the first time I saw it. I mean, and I'm not going to dock it as Anne said. I'm not going to dock it for watching it a second time and already knowing. Um, so I give it a nine and enjoyment. I give it an eight. I really enjoyed this movie. It's well-made. I like period pieces. I like English manor haunted house movies. And I, I just, I just wish that maybe there were more characters doing more things in the movie, but uh, definitely a good movie. All right. So this is cool because we all rated this pretty close. All things considered to one another. I rated this the highest at an eight and Ray, you rated this right in the middle. Um, the middle of the two ladies at a 7.66. Just where I like to be. <laughs> Sandwiched. <laughs> Whether you like it or not. And Helen, you rated this a 7.33. So we were all really in that 7 to 8 range. Pulling in Woman in Black right at a 7.67. All right. What are the 30-some movies that we have rated so far? Woman in Black comes in at a number three not at the top of the hill but man it is almost there Ooh. only behind ghostbusters and the ritual and above and above dusk till dawn and annabelle okay i didn't rate dusk till dawn so i'm really <laughs> glad that it's ahead of that one and maybe if there were some cuter actors in this it would rival ritual <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if it had been a group of people in the manor being haunted, maybe it would have upped it a little bit because you had some human drama. It might have, quite honestly. Yeah. Well, anyway, good showing for Woman in Black. All right. Well, if you enjoyed this podcast, help us grow our audience, rate and review us on iTunes, and please share with your friends and family on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media platforms. Give us a shout out to tell us how we're doing or to suggest movies to review. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter. You can also email us at hosts.hth at gmail.com. I want to thank you for joining us for this episode of Hilltop Horror Movie Reviews. I'm your host, Ray Richards, and on behalf of my co-hosts, thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time. 